1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? I've been down here too long. It's time for me to ascend. From the sewers of Gotham, a new villain emerges. of Gotham, the perfect enemy comes to life. I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. Yeah. <laughs> and the only one who can save this city a creature of the night. Hey, stud. I thought we had something together. We do. While she craves a romance she can sink her claws into. You're getting into a girl like me. He plots a foul reign of destruction. My dear penguin! Thanks to Batman, the time has come to punish all of Gotham! Hello, 
everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and I am here with my good friend and co-host, Mr. Sean Whalen. It's a pleasure and, to be here. As always, my friend. And we are we have the pleasure today of returning or welcoming back to the show the hosts of the movie film podcast, Zaki Hassan and Brian Hall. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi. Thanks for having us back. Yes, somehow... I've invited you on a number of times and you haven't blocked me yet. <laughs> I love doing this this so, show. I have a good that. time here. And and for some reason, Brian, you have really become my Tim Burton guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of true, isn't it? Yeah. That was your your first time when you came on and we did Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yep. Yep. And now we're working our way through well through his two Batman movies. We did the first one, and. I'm going to just back us up slightly because I remember, if I remember correctly, and I did not re-listen to the episode, but if I remember correctly, all three of us were still pretty high on it. I kind of had a uh, a rubber band effect where I loved it at first, then I didn't like it, and now I like it again. Uh, but I think we're all pretty high on it now. I, I, I'm definitely still high on it. I do have to say this. I'm really thankful for this opportunity because we had our conversation, and I'm I saw it when I was nine years old. I mean, it's just sort of... You know, I made uh, to speak in Avatar parlance. I made a halo with that film. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it impressed itself upon me. I, it's more almost like feelings than a movie for me. And so I came in really effusive about it. And it was funny. I remember you were sort of uh, saying, "Yeah, you know, yes, I like it, but you know, this is kind of this way and this is kind of that way." And I was like, "Really?" And it's funny because then I strangely had the opportunity to see it in a theater maybe two days after we recorded. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, yeah, he, he's kind of right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it really is more like a, a tone and, you know, a zip zoom zam than it is like a really straight, you know, rock solid story. But I still would say at the end of the day, I am high on it. So, you know, that's kind of a synopsis of where the three of us are, at least coming out of 1989. We were high on it then. Uh, before this movie came out. And I'm just going to give Sean a minute because he was not here when we talked about that to say, you know, what was your just, you know, your, your Reader's Digest version? What did you think of Batman 89? So 89 was my senior year in high school. And I was always a diehard Batman fan growing up. So when that movie hit and it was more of a serious tone compared to the 66 show, which I loved as a kid, but you grow up and you realize that was meant to be a spoof and like, they were finally taking it seriously. And there was also like cool to be a Batman fan all of a sudden, because that film took like everything by storm. So very high on that film when it first came out, as the years went on and like, we got more into things like Nolan was doing and stuff like that. I looked back at 89 and I'm like, well, that was great for 89. Mm. And, you know, kind of like, I kind of left it there. Watched it again recently and kind of fell in love with it again, you know, as far as appreciating it in a different way. It didn't have the same feel as in 89 where it was like kind of this magical new thing, but it's more of a, okay, I mean, it was a little hard on it, like trying to compare it to the Nolan films and, you know, took a look at what Burton was trying to do and the kind of um, thing that he was trying to do with the cinema. So um, it, it actually sounds like I'm, without having been on your episode, it sounds more like I'm I'm kind of where some of you were at as far as where had this one experience with it kind of fell off and now I'm I'm back into enjoying this enjoying this universe 
um, of Batman. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about this film today. All right. So we were all, I, I, I think it's fair to say we were all pretty high on Batman 89 in, in 1989. Mm-hmm. And then three years later, I would imagine, I know I was anticipating this. Uh, like I said, I was still kind of high on it. I had not really soured on Burton yet, uh, which we, I think we talked extensively in the, in the last one about that. Uh, so I, I was still, kind of, you know, still looking forward to it. And I, you know, the idea of Danny DeVito as the penguin and Michelle Pfeiffer as, as Catwoman was intriguing to me. Uh, Christopher Walken, I kind of always enjoy in everything. So I was I was definitely on board going into this, and we saw it. I would say within the first week after it opened. I don't think we went opening night, uh, but I definitely saw it within the first week. And I'll say I had kind of mixed feelings coming out of it. I liked it, and you know, to some extent, I had to. Uh, I, I, I I'm going to paraphrase what Zachy told me after he saw the 2000 Planet of the Apes. That you know, I kind of had to squint a little bit and say, yeah, that was good. You know, if you look at it in a certain way. Uh, but I felt like I was almost like forcing myself to like it, if that sounds about right. So that's kind of where I was in June of 1992. And now I'm curious where you guys were. And uh, I guess uh, so far you've been the least vocal. So I'm going to throw it to you for a second. Well, so I, you know, I, I think uh, the the nostalgic uh, memories of this movie are are so strong. I, I I think Brian and I we were having this discussion just in the last week. You know, I I got a T-shirt. I got a a T-shirt with the Batman Returns logo on it. Do you remember this, Brian? I texted you a picture. Yeah. Oh yeah. As a, as like just looking at that logo makes me feel a certain way. You know, and and part of that is because uh, I moved back to the states from Saudi Arabia. Uh, summer of 92 so it was the summer of batman returns and it was just the merchandise was everywhere and just it was like it was just like i was just like soaking in it um ironically i didn't end up being able to watch the movie because it, i like just missed it in theaters by like a week or so so i didn't end up you know they released it on on vhs uh i think in time for christmas and so i saw it right around bam um my memory at the time is that i at the time, I liked it, and I, I I I have difficulty placing whether I liked it more or less than the first one. I think I just I just liked that it was a new thing with with uh, Michael Keaton as Batman, like that. You know what I mean? Because I had I had just worn out my VHS copy of the '89 movie, so I was like, oh, here's a new thing now, and I think that was exciting. Um, over the years, I think I think you know, kind of what we're describing. We're like we go, we dip up and down with these things. I think my estimation of it dropped a little bit, and then uh, revisiting it recently for our commentary track on our show, uh, I was really like, man, I just, you know, you you can look at it and be critical about, oh, it's not like this depiction of Penguin is not true to the comics, and Catwoman is what it is, and and probably that stuff would have hit me harder back in the day, but I think now since we have so many different iterations of batman so many interpretations you're like well this is this is this one this is you know earth burton you know and he's doing his thing and and if nothing else i'm like michael keaton in my opinion is so much better in this movie as both bruce wayne and batman he's so much more comfortable um that every time i watch this i mourn the third uh, keaton starring movie that we never got i'm sorry the third what like the, the the third Keaton starring Batman movie oh. that we never got. 
Yeah, I, I definitely would have liked to have seen him continue in the role. I can't argue with that. Yeah. How about you, Brian? What was your uh, impression back in 1992? I mean, honestly, you could probably word for word repeat what Zachy said, because my memory of it was being dazzled by new Batman. I mean, I loved 89 so much that seeing more of Michael Keaton as Batman, more of, you know, my favorite Batmobile probably still to this day. Um, but then, you know, throwing in Catwoman and Penguin, it was just, it was what I loved in more. And it was also kind of the Burton-ness of it was dialed up to 11. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and as a 12 year old, I don't know that I really knew what that meant, but it was kinetic and weird and intriguing. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think I loved it. And I had the same sort of experience then over the years where I found myself watching that one less and less. I think if it was on television or, or whatever, there's sort of less scenes in that movie that I am eager to repeat, mm. <laughs> you know, like it, it doesn't hook me as as much as the other one necessarily throughout. But again, yeah, as time has gone on, I've sort of come to appreciate it as this weird little snow globe <laughs> you know, of its own <laughs> little thing that exists that is really uh, singular and unique and, and still, I would say really kinetic. I mean, it's, it's got this snap to it, you know, just with the way, like when you think of Catwoman, coming out of that uh, department store and the way that it's edited and it's it's so simply shot but there's just so much snap to it that it just kind of commands your attention and you know there's so much to drink in with your eyeballs so i i think i don't revisit it as much as the first one but i i still admire it i think that's where i'm left with it like i enjoy it but i probably admire it a little more how about you sean so it's 92. It's kind of I'm I'm not going to repeat, but I'm going to just say ditto to a lot of the things that both Zachy and Brian are saying, because I, I think what I really liked about it was the fact that there was more. I mean, it was they were building upon what they'd done in 89. And I think it's something the later films, they felt like, yes, they were sort of continuing the story, but they weren't building upon like the building blocks that were really here. And I felt like this was a chance where we got to see more of Gotham, more of the gadgets, more villains, more of this fleshed out Batman world, which was something that I really liked. And even from a merchandise standpoint at the time when the film came out, it was like you walked out of the film, you had this great experience and you could extend it to like video games. There was there was swag there, which which at the time was kind of a new concept. You know, you didn't walk out of a you know, there weren't a lot of superhero films. There weren't a lot of things where you could play video games. You could get T-shirts. You could get shoes. <laughs> People were cutting bat symbols in their hair. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a pretty nutty time um, for um, for films like that. And and that was a whole experience. It did repeat an issue that I had with the first, which um, I liked. I mean, and it was when I say it's an issue, it didn't ruin the films or anything like that. But there was an issue I had with both films, and we'll we'll talk about that. But um, other than that, it was it was great. It was it was like being and I Gotham. I think as a character was something mm-hmm. I really liked in both films because I feel it's something in the comics I always enjoyed, and I love the fact that this film captured that the city itself was a character, and I think a lot of that had to do with Burton's style 
choices in crafting this Gotham. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with some of the things you guys said, but counter it a little bit. Mm. Uh, I do agree with what Zaki said that this was a stronger performance by Michael Keaton, but I think this was the second movie, and while Jack Nicholson, you know, ate up the screen. Uh, while he was in the first one and, and managed to take command of that movie, I think Tim Burton decided to give this movie to Danny DeVito and Christopher Walken, uh, and to a lesser extent, Michelle Pfeiffer, and kind of let Michael Keaton have what crumbs were left after he gave it to them. Uh, and I really think we should have seen more of Batman and more of Bruce Wayne in this movie. I think that was one of the failings as far as I'm concerned. Is I don't, I don't feel like he developed the character uh, where he could have. And then while I was enchanted by Michelle Pfeiffer's performance in this, I think it was excellent, uh, I didn't like the way her character was written. I didn't see that as Catwoman the way I envision her, you know, as this just mousy secretary who's now kind of a little bit psychotic. Uh, and, and while Danny DeVito probably was a little truer to the comic than she was, I had really, and this is more in hindsight than at the time, I really have preferred the more human version of the Penguin that they've portrayed in uh, things since then, where he's more like a gangster uh, than he is, you know, a weirdo. Um, and and I, I just, as much as I do love Danny DeVito, and I do, I loved him in Taxi. I loved him in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I loved him in Throw Mama from the Train and, and other movies that he's been in, Twins. Uh, I find him repulsive in this movie, and I think intentionally so, but it just, it almost makes me cringe a little bit when he's on the screen. Uh, and to have him be so much of the focus of this movie, it really did hurt him. Do you mean just in appearance and like goo coming out of his mouth or even just his the way he is and interacts with everyone throughout? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, you know, and, and even some of, you know, I, I think. Uh, some of it, I mean, some of it is amusing when, you know, when he uh, when he pulls out the hand, Hi, I'm so and so's hand. <laughs> you know, it made me laugh. I'm not going to yeah. pretend like it didn't. Uh but I think it's just too much. It's too over the top. Uh, and, and yeah, you know, the physical appearance, just the dirtiness of it. Well, it, it, it's troublesome to me. I don't know. I, I just, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't have the same charisma in this role that Nicholson had in 89. And I think they were shooting for him to have the same thing. You know, I wonder just thinking about, like I'm visualizing sort of what you're talking about. The thing about the first one with Jack Nicholson is, I mean, he is just just pops off the screen and is so memorable. But he's also withheld a little bit. He's kind of mysterious sometimes, and not everything is explained about him, right? And so there's this like intrigue, and I wonder if going the opposite direction with Penguin then sort of ruined it for you, right? Like where we spend so much time with him. Yeah, you want to distance yourself a little bit rather than having more questions about him. Yeah, I think I would have preferred this movie if there had been more questions about him. And then we focused a little bit on Bruce Wayne slash Batman being the Dark Knight detective mm, and figuring out what's going on and somehow spoiling his plans that way. Mm -hmm. And just, just to continue with my, you know, 
I, I'm going to allow you guys to go where you want, but I'm giving you the, you know, the negatives that I saw in it. I did feel that Christopher Walken was kind of wasted in it because to me, he's not Christopher Walken in this movie. He's, you know, he, he's somebody who could be played by somebody who doesn't have a staccato delivery and doesn't have his look about him. And he could have just been like a, you know, truly like a businessman, almost like, I, I think he could have had a contrast between, you know, if I was in the writer's room, which they would never invite me in, but you could have a contrast between uh, him as the uh, businessman and then Cobblepot as the gangster and showing almost that the two sides of the same coin. Mm. I, can I see think that. that would have been my theme kind of going into it. And again, I would have made it, you know, tried to put it into some sort of a mystery where, you know, Bruce Wayne has got to figure it out. It's funny with that. Some of, I was thinking what Zachy said earlier about the fact that we've seen a lot of iterations now of these characters and, you know, on TV and film and things like that. We're very used to seeing different versions or different takes on them. And I do think that's had an effect on me now too. Um, Cause I remember 92 when I saw this, probably my biggest criticism was the, the, what I felt at the time were the liberties they took with the penguin, you know, and, and developing his story, making it more of like a horror story. Whereas it's funny this time around, I appreciated that, which I was surprised. Um, I, I've actually watched in preparation for this. I watched it twice, um, not intending to. It was just I, I really wanted to see it again afterwards. And because I was enjoying things that I'm like, I actually like this now. <laughs> and I was, I was really surprised by that. The one thing that I mentioned before that I had an issue that was a negative that they did in both films, it was the need, uh, spoiler to the end of it, and I'm not trying to jump us around, but the fact that both the Joker and the Penguin die at the end. Mm. And um, it was something where I'm like, I don't really, admittedly that this is the geeky Batman fan of me. I don't like that in my Batman movies or my Batman stories. I kind of wanted that, but I didn't have, again, another issue I don't have now. This is a different version of Batman. Mm. We've seen lots of versions of Batman. I'm, I was a lot more okay with that. Neither. And by the way, never ruined what I liked about the movie, but it was just something where I was like, uh, why? Why did we have to do that? Now I kind of appreciated the fact that like we've got this odd sequence where he's rolling the penguin down. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually liked like Batman watching this like after everything he'd just gone through, he's watching this happen. And um, it was an interesting sort of thing that like the story of the penguin was more captivating to me this time. And I, I'm connecting with you, Paul, because I'm like, I, oh, I have had the same issues before. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Um, but I don't know why this time around I I liked the horror aspect of what they were doing with it. But he is a very, I get it. It's a very different character. You know, it's funny, Zachy and I, when we did our, our commentary about it, I in rewatching it, I had this moment where, speaking of, you know, the, the penguin funeral and I mean that quite literally, penguins, you know, as pallbearers for the <laughs> Tavino's character. Like, I I had kind of forgotten how goofy this movie is. Mm-hmm. And like some of the dialogue is very, very corny. And I was like, wow, I don't remember this. Like I just sort of remember the the rough edges and the darkness and the 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 black goo and and things like that. But what really unlocked it for me was, you know what is funny about this movie? This movie is like you just watched an episode of 66 Batman and then that night had a nightmare about it. 
<laughs> yeah, I can see that. I, and I, I kind of like I didn't that. Think of it that way, but that's an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> I uh, I think they tried to do uh, the two sides of the same coin with Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle. Mm. Like when when they're sitting there and and uh, they're they're each giving their commentary on the way the news is uh, treating their exploits. And then when, you know, when they hear that something's going on and they're both making their excuses to try and get away, uh, I think that that they could have done more with that. And I think they could have done it a little bit more subtly. You know, when when, when Bruce Wayne is sitting there saying, oh, I don't know why they gave him a bad review. He must have saved millions of dollars in property damage. (laughs) And that's that's, you know, like the idea is there, the, the, the feel. But I just feel like it didn't get executed as well as it could have. I will say, though, that I did uh, connect more with their connection in this film versus Bruce Wayne and Vicki Vale in the first one. Um, I, I agree with that. I don't I don't disagree that the villains take center stage in this, but I like that there are I know Zachy, actually, I'll let him speak to it. But I know there's a moment he really loves, like one of the, the best Bruce Wayne moments in the film. But I just speaking to the two of them, I do like that. I do f- believe they're interaction their connection and then their sort of conflict um you know knowing or realizing that they are the 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 two opposite sides of the coin Mm. well i I feel like i've aired my grievances on this one now (laughs) so i've I've given you my negatives and i don't want to be all negative about this because there are things about this that i enjoy and and as i watched it i wasn't sitting there saying oh this sucks i was you know i was enjoying a lot of it but uh, as as I've talked about in the past, I, I do find that I watch things very differently when I'm doing it for the sake of being a critic on mm. the show than I do if I'm just sitting back and letting myself be engulfed by it. And and sometimes the problem is I let myself be engulfed by it and then I try to be a critic on the show and I'm I'm just, you know, too gushy about it because I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> and and I feel like, you know, you gotta see the positives and the negatives. Uh those are the negatives that I had with the movie. Uh, you know, Tim, I, I think, you know, you hit it. Tim Burton was uh, on, on 11 for this one. Uh, you know, he, he, at least as I understand it, he didn't want to come back and do the sequel. And he was only willing to do so when they kind of gave him total free reign to do it however he wanted. And I do think there was some backlash over that because of what Sean was saying about all the toys and everything, that the manufacturers of the toys were like, this is not a kiddie movie and we're making kiddie toys here. So right, like I the do happy think meals. You know, some of that came into play. Yeah, Happy Meals in particular. I think they pulled them off the shelves, if I heard right. Yeah. Uh, so, but those are my negatives. And we'll go on to the positives in a couple of minutes. And what I wanted to just find out is, am I the only one with negatives, or do you guys have anything else that you know <laughs> that you didn't really go for in this one? I thought the freedom to, like, reveal identities was something that, it kind of struck me more this time around. And I, I'll, I'll say I liked it much better now than I did in the past. And I I actually strangely might say that I liked it better than 89. And I'll, I'll, we'll talk more about that when we get into positives. But the one scene that really struck me, and it is when we were talking about the Penguin funerals before that, with like the reveal of, you know, he's Bruce Wayne and her re- being revealed as Selena. I felt like Bruce would be more protective of that, like understanding the need to kind of keep those identities hidden. And like in front of Max Shrek, it's like all of a sudden it's all out in the open. And this is a guy he's looking to arrest. So he's outing Selena, yeah. and then she's outing him. 
So now you're in a situation where we got like a Kobayashi Maru with Max Shrek because <laughs> I mean, you've got to like, what do you do with him now? He knows everything. And now we're debating over putting him in prison or not. And this guy knows our deepest, darkest secret, which can yeah. ru- ruin Bruce's life and hers life. So, I mean, it was, that was the part where I was like, whoa, this moment now I've, I've got a bit of an issue with. And again, I'm saying, I'm, I, I actually think I like this better than 89 now, um, the original. And um, that was one that like really struck me. I find it amusing that he outed himself, you know, his secret identity to Max Shrek. And Shrek was too stupid to figure yeah. out it, it out himself <laughs> to the point where he's saying, Bruce Wayne, what are you doing here dressed as Batman? It's like, you, you still don't get it? Really? <laughs> he I did is like Batman. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, well, I do think in this one, Batman did not have his rule against killing. <laughs> right. Seems like he's enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, on on the positive side, I found myself surprisingly really, really enjoying, because I was paying attention to it more than I have in the past, the uh, Danny Elfman score. Mm. Uh, I thought he took the, the original and then kind of built on it and gave bits of it, but didn't, you know, I expect, uh, I expect uh, Danny Elfman to be like Tim Burton and be a little excessive sometimes. And in this instance, I think he was more, you know, he was a little bit more laid back. He didn't bludgeon us with the, uh, you know, with, with the original score. He, he mixed it in. And, and I thought that was pretty well done. I thought I, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, I guess also from the positive point of view, again, I, I generally enjoyed the performances. What the issues I had were more with the writing than with the performances. Uh, you know, I think uh, a couple of the characters, you know, were a little bit misused uh, and could have been put to better service. But I did think everybody gave a good performance. I think, again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little down on Danny DeVito because I think they wanted him to go totally over the top and Jack Nicholson, this movie. Uh, and, and I don't think it worked, but I don't blame him for it not working. I blame them for pushing him to do that kind of. Uh, that they should have given, you know, given him a little bit more subtlety and a little bit more reserved in how he did things. Uh, but yeah, but I, I thought I all think, the performances were good. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was just saying, I mean, I mean, I think fundamentally I disagree with Burton's uh, decision to turn the penguin into this weird mutant monster thing. And I I would assume that was to put some distance between uh, this version and, you know, whatever Burgess Meredith did. But I, I'm just like... That, that's that it tells you something that that take on the character has never really like that's not something that has seeped into the mm. you know the the consciousness in terms of how the penguin is depicted since this movie came out it feels like even viewers were like yeah you know what let's just leave that there you know <laughs> yeah i think that's exactly right you have to imagine i mean it seems like on most of tim burton's movies you know, he's an artist, right? And so he draws these drawings and then is basically like, okay, go make that, you know, to his his <laughs> designers and whatnot. And I, I assume, you know, he drew the penguin first and was like, well, who's this guy? You know, like, well, he <laughs> must have been raised in the sewers. And, you know, he'd probably sort of reverse engineer from some sort of horrifying, scratchy drawing that he had done. 
That's that's very possible. I, I almost feel like there's the James Cameron effect of, you know, I'll come up with these special effects and I won't make the movie until you figure out how to do them. Hmm. But it's clear, how much... I mean, from a from a visual perspective, he's clearly inspired by uh, Caligari and and the cabinet right. of Doctor Caligari, and that's appropriate because, like, the, I think it was the year before or two years before, he did Edward Scissorhands and Johnny Depp, and that looks like uh, Cesare from Caligari. So it's Burton working through all his German expressionist uh, <laughs> fetishes. I think there's some of that you could see in the makeup of Gotham as well. Absolutely. And and I, I agree with your your take on it. You know that that Gotham is a character in the movie, and I think that's more so true of this one, but it was also true in the first one. Uh, and and I like that. And I think if my memory is right, and we're going to see you know one day when I can drag you guys back to talk about Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, I think they kind of gave up on that a little bit. And I think that was a mistake because I like Gotham being this strange area they did it to some extent in, even in the uh, batman animated series where mm. you almost couldn't tell what era this is taking place in right you know there's some modern things there's some old-fashioned things it's almost just a world unto itself and i like that and i, I you know I, I especially in the day and age when people weren't looking necessarily for crossovers you know nobody was really crying out for batman v superman back then so i think you know you had a uh an ability to just create, you know, Batman's own world. And then that brings me to the discomfort I had, you know, which agrees with Sean, which, you know, why do you have to kill off the Joker and the Penguin at the end? You know, you, you have them live and, and, you know, maybe if you make enough movies, maybe they come back at some point. Uh, you know, I was okay with them killing Max Shrek because, you know, we needed to see him again anyway. It is interesting, too, on that note, right? Wasn't sort of like a, a trivia fact about this where that last shot of Catwoman looking up at the bat signal was added like literally weeks, maybe two weeks or something before it was even set to hit theaters. So maybe that was some sort of Warner's putting their foot down to some degree being like, all right, all right, all right. But stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Firmly. <laughs> she is alive. She is coming back. People must know, you know, kind of a thing. She's going to come back, but she's Halle Berry now. Right, right. I'd be I, and you know like what? I frankly, honestly say I never saw that movie. I never saw Catwoman. It got such either. horrible reviews. I never bothered. And I don't even know if it's supposed to be the same character Mm-mm. or if it's a different no, world. It's, it's, uh, it, she plays a different character, but the idea, they, they turn the Catwoman into like the crow, basically. So it's like, kind of like passed on from one person to the next so like there's like oh there have been other Catwomans before which mm. is meant to uh, include uh, selena kyle in this movie so it's in the oh, same yeah. universe so to speak i mean by by implication it is yeah right by a, by a thread <laughs> <laughs> i'm choosing to believe it's not in this universe i did think and again talking positives uh, while I think Burton let his Burton-esque nature totally run wild with the script and his characterization of the characters and just the, you know, the, the, the gothic nature of the movie. But I did think he made fairly simple and, in my opinion, positive choices in his angles that he chose for, for filming scenes, for the cinematography that, you know, I'm sure it was under his control, even though he isn't the cinematographer. Uh, and, and the editing. I thought it was all 
fairly well done and it's not that over the top craziness that I've kind of come to expect from Burton. I, I, I agree with that. I, I definitely second that. I, and it's like you say, there's a lot of movies you watch and they just are things, you know, and you enjoy sort of immersing yourself in them again. But then sometimes for, for something like this or, you know, our show, you're watching it with a critical eye again, and you're thinking about angles that you've seen a million times, but you just didn't stop to think about them. And I have definitely, in revisiting the Burton films, come to appreciate him as a, a visual stylist because he's not, he doesn't move the camera a lot. And his angles aren't even that crazy, but he just knows where to put them just low enough or just high enough and when to cut here. And he, he has like a really incredible snap that I just really appreciate in these Batman movies and even in Edward Scissorhands and, and his other films. So I, that's something that's really grown for me in my, uh, my love of his, I mean, obviously there's the whole, you could make the joke, you know, the visual, the, the stripes and the swirls and whatnot, but just, yeah, his, his, his camera and his editing, I've really come to appreciate more over the years. And, and, you know, we, we talked again last time we talked a little bit about my, uh, my roller coaster ride with Tim Burton. And I think the point when I kind of fell off the Burton wagon was Mars Attacks. Mm. And I really started to just kind of not give him any any rope anymore. So uh you know I, I might have to revisit if I wanted to really critique him, I might have to revisit some more of his other movies just to see you know, how off the rails did he go? I don't know. In that one Is in it, particular, in Mars Attacks, or in in, in any following. of them, honestly, yeah. any <laughs> of them after this one. Yeah. And it is it, it, it's a question. You know, is it that he really went off the rails, or did he just become so stylized? Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure which it is at this point. But it did get to the point where every Burton movie that came out looked the same to me. I you know I I can't disagree with that, and I I think for me when I remember not feeling passionate about Mars Attacks, and I think Sleepy Hollow was when I was sort of like, oh, maybe like I've, I, I, I know what to expect now, you know, just sort of the sights, the sounds, the whatnot, and I didn't feel a lot for that movie, but I don't, I, I for me, I wonder too if it became well, he he started getting hired by Disney, and so he started applying his thing to other stuff. It's like Dumbo with my set design sure you know and Alice so wonderland yeah and i can't really feel passionate about that i watched dumbo on a plane and i could almost barely get through it you know and i was forced mm. i was literally strapped in and <laughs> yeah, but but i i i like bert i like early burton a lot and i would love to see what would happen if he were to almost make like his fablemans in a way not that it has to be like this you know, biography oh, sort of thing. Oh, come on. Now, now I want to see that. Actually, 100% <laughs> I want to see that now that I say it. But I meant, what I, what I meant was with Spielberg, you know, Zach, you know, I've said this a lot. I always wanted Spielberg, I wanted to see, give him like $40 million and make something simple. What is that? Like make, like Close Encounters again, make whatever, like, I kind of want to see it back to basics. What are you passionate about? You know, and that's for Spielberg that we got Fablemans. And so for Burton, I would love to see him kind of go back to maybe like a smaller budget, not making a Disney movie. What do you want to do? What do you want to say? And I'd be very curious if that's something I would respond to again. 
Dude, this is like almost like a Saturday Night Live sketch where it's like the Tim Burton Fablemans. Uh, dude, how did that? Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, I, I, I don't know if I, when we, when we had our last Tim Burton discussion, I may have mentioned the point where he totally turned me off and I just became anti-Burton, uh, was in Sleepy Hollow, and it was when he killed the, the, the small child. Mm. That was enough. Like, I was done then. The only time I've ever seen the small child get killed and it being okay was when Spielberg did it in Jaws. Right, right. For some reason that was okay because it was meant to be a slap in the face and it was. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, you took it for the horror that was put there. When, when Burton did it in Sleepy Hollow, I felt it was kind of gratuitous and unnecessary. And it, it actually disturbed me. And maybe, you know, maybe it was because I was. 12 years old when Jaws came out and I was a father when I saw mm. Sleepy Hollow. Maybe that's the difference to me. I don't know, but it really bothered me when I saw that, that well, scene. The, the other reason, Paul, is because Sleepy Hollow, so answering the question of your show, that's why, that's because why, Jaws gets the pass. That's true. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's comparing Sleepy Hollow, which I consider to be a subpar movie, with Jaws, which is certainly in my top 20 of all time. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's probably Hollow, not fair. It's it's interesting because that was yeah, like a really big blockbuster when it came out, mm. uh, Sleepy Hollow, right? And it, and yet it doesn't get talked about very much, at least not not in my experience, you know. So I, I I wonder too how much how much burden was even into it really because because it it seems a little nastier than than Burton's usual. Like there's there's sort of um, he steps a little lighter usually. Mm-hmm. Than, than going full on horror, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think I do. Like, like, like uh, Sleepy Hollow is, I, I think it's two thousand, and then Planet of the Apes is two thousand one. Like, it, both of those feel like his trying to turn into doing more, quote unquote, you know, studio friendly uh, stuff. <laughs> I don't see them as studio friendly personally, but, <laughs> yeah, but I can I, understand. I understand what the point you're making. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I loathe the, 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 the Planet of the Apes movie that he made, but, but even when his, his interviews that he gave about it, it, it sounds just as much like he's trying to convince himself he was interested in it. <laughs> Would have been interesting to see if they had made the uh, Planet of the Apes movie that was rumored, you know, starring uh, uh, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Taylor. Yeah. Well, Philip Noyce was going to direct that, and that to me, I, that interests me. Like not so much Schwarzenegger, but like, well, Philip Noyce, he makes these really interesting, uh, really tight action movies. What does a Planet of the Apes movie directed by him look like? You know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go too far afield here, but do you know if they even, you know, if there was some sort of a treatment done for it? Oh yeah, yeah. Those, those uh, uh, I mean, there was uh, a script that Terry Hayes wrote. I think that was the one that that was being developed it was produced by oliver stone that that's out there you can read that and then sam ham did a rewrite of that i've I've read that one i've read the ham script i would be curious to sit down and read that yeah it was it was it wasn't taylor it was troy that's the that's the okay character. but it's still supposed to be basically the same character it's not i mean it, honestly it goes so far afield of the original movie because it's it's like you have this virus that's causing babies to be born dead. And uh, as a result, uh, scientists find out that this plague originated on another planet as planet of apes and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, yeah. And, and instead of Landon, it's Landis. 
and it's it's the love interest. It's Susan Landis. Okay. Yeah, that's the stuff I remember. Anyway, it yeah, that, that that had the potential to be just as good as the Mark Wahlberg version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we dodged a bullet for sure. <laughs> I still want to like read it. And when I mean read it, I mean, it's, I, I look at, they recently did the Batman 89 comic that was like a kind of a what if there was a third movie mm-hmm. right. done by Sam Hamm, which was great because it, if you like these movies and you want to see what like a third one could potentially look like, it's, it's a great read for that purpose. When you're talking about script treatments like that, I'm surprised there hasn't been some form of adaptation during, like Planet Apes has enjoyed like a resurgence of popularity at certain points in time why wouldn't you give us that maybe as a, a comic or something so we could read it and see it? Cause I love seeing the what ifs, even if it's that something be. that like shouldn't have been made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be just, along the lines of the uh, comic book version. They came out with of the original script from the city on the edge of forever by Harlan Ellis. Correct. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Or, or Rod Serling's uh, planet of the apes that they also turned into a comic. I never saw that one. I mean, actually. Oh, it's oh, it's great. You should check it out. Yeah, Boom, Boom Studios did it. It was adapted by uh, Dana Gould, who I had on my oh. show talking about Planet of the Apes. Yes, so the, the Saturday Night Live skit with uh, Charles Heston was his brainchild, wasn't it? Yep, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, but, Batman Returns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we have kind of wandered off, but somehow Zachy, when you and I talk, I always seem to go to Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I've had that effect on people. But, uh, yeah, Batman Returns. What else can you say, you guys? I'll, I'll just leave the floor to you. What are you going to tell me to sell me on this movie after I give you my negatives? <laughs> you know, I I, I liked uh, all the Catwoman stuff in this movie. Thinking of the the latest film, The Batman, which I enjoyed, but I, I have not admittedly revisited much. Like, I don't remember actually a ton about Catwoman. But in this one, and obviously it's very different, uh, much more stylized. But, I mean, it's just so punchy, you know? I mean, I, 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 I can't disagree, you know? I, I understand not liking the mousy secretary. And also, I, I cannot tell you what happens when she falls to the ground and is licked by cats and comes back to life. But... You know, having those mirror scenes of her coming home with her answering machine and then coming back home again as a zombie with the answering machine. And, you know, it's just it's just I I love it. I love the visuals of it. The hell here. Hello there thing. And her going out and you know, assaulting that guy in the alley and all the interplay with her and Batman all the way down to the end with her, you know, using up her lives to 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 take out Shrek. I I really love the Catwoman in this film. I definitely found her to be entrancing in her own way. Uh, I didn't care for her as a mousy secretary. I did care for her as Catwoman Mm. when she would like kind of, you know, come out of her shell effectively. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know, you know, as, as a big comic book fan, I do have issues when they change characters off of the way that they're kind of been, you know, they've been portrayed for years without really, as far as I'm concerned, uh, a significant reason to do so. Mm. Um, And she's just not the Catwoman I picture in my mind. Uh, Again, I picture her as kind of a very similar to Bruce Wayne, but the other side of the coin, you know, he he comes from a rich background. She comes from a poor background. They're both incredibly intelligent. They're both incredibly athletic. And he has a moral compass that's 
more in line with what you would expect than hers. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't mind going over the line. And I do think that when they, you know, in the comics, they've always created a romantic tension between them uh, to the point where at one point they were supposed to get married. Uh, you know, I'm good with that. And I don't know why we had to change it, even though I really like Michelle Pfeiffer in the role. I liked the theme they had in this that I noticed this time around. So I watched it twice. I caught onto this, at least this is my feeling off of it, this theme of what's buried underneath. They had it with Max Shrek. Max mm-hmm. Shrek had this like public persona that he was pushing and and would kill people to protect it. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, that was, it was who, you know, his legacy and what, you know, that that was more important than the truth that was buried underneath. And the truth that's buried underneath is this, this man is so, so driven for that, that exterior that he will do anything to accomplish that goal. He will suck the city dry of power. He will do anything he can to make his uh, son's legacy what it is. He will kill, he's killed his partner. He's going to, he thought he killed Selena. You know, that's kind of his thing. The Penguin, it was this discarded child that became this monster. And, you know, Max kind of gave him a mask. You know, it's like, hey, listen, I know how to mm. this whole thing. You know, it's like, I, you want to be brought back up? Okay, and maybe we can both win from this. And created and crafted this whole persona for him where you've taken this monster, this horrific creature that nobody could possibly love or or understand and and it's again i'm with paul as far as it's not my preference for a penguin but i when i started wrapping my head around this i'm like well i'm kind of enjoying this theme of what they're trying to do here and you know kind of brought him up and introduced him to the world with this whole fresh coat of paint that was hiding what was underneath because even when he says he was doing he's biting people's noses and you know it's like we're going to try and hide like the fact that this man's eating a fish and biting people's (laughs) noses we're gonna make a mayor (laughs) i mean mean, so i I was like getting into that and then i'm saving bruce and selena for the end on purpose because you get bruce which you know we've got the mask of batman uh, and kind of the mask of bruce wayne the two different ones mm-hmm. and there's like that third person that alfred only sees and selena starts to see like he's starting to connect with her in a way that that's the part of the development i agree with you paul i wanted to see more of it and i like more but i was liking it in this film in relation to her because now you've got her with these multiple masks of the mousy secretary and this Catwoman based on what happened to her. And the reason why I'm referring to them both as the masks, I think Bruce was trying to get to who was really underneath. And I think she wanted him to. And the tragedy of this story is it never happens because of Max Shrek, because of all those pieces. And it was something that this time around, I was like, wow, I'm like really digging this movie in a way that um, very different than in 92 when I saw it because of a lot of the issues that some of the pieces that are being brought out here. And this time around, I'm like, I'm kind of, I like thematically where they're going with this. Um, that's why when Zaki was thrown out, you know, we've seen a lot of versions at this point. I set this one aside for a long time and came back to it for this. 
And I think this, for me, this movie benefited from kind of looking at it from a fresh perspective. And I'm surprised at how much I digged it for that buried underneath reason was something that was really important to me. I love that. <laughs> and speaking to the the Wayne, uh, Selena, Kyle sort of mask aspect of it all, I mean, you have them at that ball, right? The, the, the masquerade ball, and they're the only two people not wearing masks, mm. right? That's, that's a nice they? little visual <laughs> contrast for us. Yeah. And dancing to Super Freak. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the bottom line is ultimately, if I have to do – you know, if if I was Siskel and Ebert and I got to do thumbs up or thumbs down, uh, I do give it a thumbs up because I enjoyed it overall. But this is yet another one uh, that I just look at some lost opportunities where they could have taken what I think was a pretty good movie and made it a really good movie. Mm. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I get the feeling that all three of you are higher on it than I am, unless I'm mistaking any of what you're saying about it. <laughs> no, I think so. I, I share some of your, you know, it's funny. I think you're, you're making me uh, solidify some things that I felt that have not become full thoughts, but I do find a lot of the DeVito yelling monologues kind of grating, you know, like sort of, again, going back to where like Joker is sort of teased and he has these funny, you know, this town needs an enema cut. Like we go move on, like, well, what's he going to do? Like sort of mystery. There's a lot of, you know, especially in the the mayoral sort of sequences and then going upstairs where he's sort of yelling, burn, baby, burn, and telling his plan and trying to seduce Catwoman. Like, I, I think some of that stuff could be scaled back and it might be a more trim sort of uh, movie just as a viewing experience. But I, I love what Sean's saying. And I, I think the themes are really meaty and interesting. And, and just on a visceral level, I do like the action in this film you know i love the the opening sequence when gotham's under assault and um i mean all the way down to the end i mean it's really sort of terrifying sequence with the ice princess and you know the the final showdown so yeah i i'd say i definitely a thumbs up for for me from this with with a couple thoughts i i didn't mention just one of my favorite character actors who makes an appearance of this uh vincent chiavelli uh I always love seeing him and everything. I'm sorry, Zach. Did you say something? No, no. I I, uh, I was gonna say that uh, he he's he's memorable even when he just has a line or so. You know, he says, "Not <laughs> yeah. you, Shrek." You're like, yeah, I know, <laughs> There's something about him that absolutely commands your attention when he's on the screen. That's right. Even when he's got a, like you said, such a small role, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing him right now in night shift, coming over and rub, rubbing, him, uh, wiping the mustard off Henry Winkler's sandwich on his door jam. Uh, if you remember that movie and scene. Um, what, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, uh, Brian, I think this is what you were alluding to. One of my favorite Bruce Wayne scenes that Michael Keaton does. And it's just this simple thing where he's watching Penguin. I think, Brian, this is what you're referring to, right? Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, he's he's watching Penguin on the TV talking about, you know, uh, uh, look, finding out what happened to him. Like, uh, you know, and, and Bruce is just kind of lost in that. And Alfred's kind of like, Mr. Wayne. And and Bruce is just like, oh, his parents. I hope he finds them. Right. And it's just it's just this little thing. And I'm like, that's 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 who Bruce Wayne is. Right. Everything. It's just. You know that 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 
empathy inside of him, even with, with all this other stuff. He's just like, well, he's somebody who lost his parents. I know what that's like. I hope I hope he's able to 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 get past that or get through it or, or resolve that, you know. And and it's just it's just this little thing, and and it just uh, Keaton's inflection, the way he he plays it, so perfect. Um, and it's it's the it's the uh, you know it's it's the inner Bruce, so to speak. Like, and mm-hmm. we also get to see in this film sort of the 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 public Bruce, you know, when he's talking with Max Shrek, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not the playboy, whatever. He's he's he is kind of a do-gooder, um, you know. In that in that conference room scene, um, where where he's like, oh, you know, these robber bands, they're gonna do whatever, and and Shrek is like, I don't like the the inference, Bruce. Bruce's like, I didn't realize I made one, Max. You know, it's <laughs> you can tell Keaton is like comfortable in this role. He's figured out his his groove, you know, how to, how to play both oh and then in that same scene he tells selena he's like oh, I, I mistook me for someone else right um it's he's just so good it's just so fun to watch that even though i agree with you that it's like way too much penguin uh in, in terms of percentage of screen time versus versus what we get with batman and bruce Wayne, but what keaton does is is much richer i think and and it points towards what he might have continued to do had, had he had that opportunity and I think what you know what you're describing and the way he played the role fits in with the way I want the character written even better than the way it's written. Because mm-hmm. as I said, I would like him to be the Dark Knight detective. And it's a criticism I've heard of the uh, Batman movies for years and years is that they don't really give him that same detective ability that we've seen so often in the comic books. And the way he's playing the role, at least the way I see it, is... He's not a million miles away because he's, you know, uh, an airhead in any way. He's a million miles away because his mind is racing a mile a minute and he's calculating everything that's in front of him and he's taking in all sorts of things. And and that's why he may be lost in the moment that Alfred's got to pull him back in. But but it's because he is so intelligent, not because he's unfocused. At least that's how I see him portraying the role. And I think that is exactly the way I want Batman to be played and Bruce Wayne to be played. Uh, but I think the script could have emphasized that a little bit more. I think when, when, you know, when, when Alfred snaps him out of it, he could have given, you know, like just this brilliant take on what's going on. And it's not Batman and Robin uh, in Batman 66 figuring out which criminals are involved based on the clues that they're given. It's truly, you know, detective work. Uh, my wife and I have been watching lately on uh, Amazon Plus. We've been watching old episodes of uh, Monk, and mm-hmm. the way that that show is, if if you've seen it, is exactly the way I'm figuring that Bruce Wayne slash Batman's mind is working when he's on a crime scene, where he's seeing every little thing and he's saying, "Well, this isn't right, and this isn't right, and if the story is what they're telling us, then this isn't right either." So now I'm going to put that all together and come up with the real answer. And, and that's the way he works, who the penguin really is. And yeah, have some sort of big dossier that he puts down and like, I figured it out. That kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I want. And I don't know if any of the Batman movies have really embraced that quite to the extent I wanted to. I think the Batman tried, but I'm not sure that And I, I we reviewed that a while back. Uh, and frankly, 
I found it a little bit wanting. I thought it was not as visceral as I wanted it to be. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to revisit that too much. You know, we're trying to stick with this one and we've already had enough uh, varying off of it at this point. Uh, but I, again, you know, my point is, I think that Michael Keaton played the role exactly right. And I would have liked to have seen the script kind of embrace that a little bit more. Uh, I am finding more and more often now that when I have criticism of movies, a lot of times it goes to the script. Mm. And less so the direction and less so the acting. So uh, is there anything else we should hit on before we rate this? I just want to second uh, the score because that was uh, I mean, it was already spoken about. But I mean, Danny Elfman, I know, especially from this era, sort of, you know, you'd see like on Family Guy or something that, you know, is like, yeah, manic circus guy, you know. But I mean, it's really much more than that. Like you said, I mean, he has like brilliant themes. And when he can take that mania and have it, you know, married perfectly to what's happening on screen and create this insane concoction you know that somehow works perfectly i mean that's that's takes a lot of skill and a lot of talent and i i think this is one of his best scores i mean it's it's insane but it is very thoughtful and and pretty brilliant it's it's like controlled insanity it is it is yeah yeah totally and again, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I have criticism of Danny Elfman the same way I do of Tim Burton, that sometimes he can become a little too self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he did in this one. I don't think he did at all. Same, and, which know. is saying something for how crazy it is, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things this in 89 did, and I'll, I'll, I'll focus it more on this one, um, it's we, we take the Elfman piece, which is obviously such a large part of it, and then the use of pop culture. Like I, I, pre, I mentioned Super Freak before. It fit that particular sequence. It was a pop culture reference at the time. It, it fit the sequence. The choice of music overall throughout this, I thought, was something that really added to the overall atmosphere of this film. The, and he wasn't forced to work in Prince. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, which I think, you know, I think the Prince worked to the detriment of the first movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I said on the last one, I, I was too young when that came out. Like, I just accepted it. Like, this is what is in front of me. So I've always been sort of okay with it. But I, I can see that now, uh, how it could have played that way back then. Okay, so all that said, I'm gonna jump out first and I'm going to say since I was the the biggest detractor going into this uh, I like I said I kind of had to convince myself that I liked it when I first saw it I've been able to watch it and see the flaws or the things that I don't agree with that I've talked about here but it was still an entertaining two hours or so Uh, there were things about it especially if I can remove myself from the comic book uh, characterization of these characters uh, that was entertaining in and of itself. Uh, so trying to look at it objectively, I think it's a pretty good movie. Um, I don't think it's a top level movie. It's certainly not a Jaws. And I think for me, it's probably just below a Jaws 2. So I'm going to kind of put it as a high Jaws 3. It's not one that I feel the need to revisit to speak of 
uh, unless I'm doing kind of a marathon of the Batman movies. Um, and I think that's going to be a theme we're going to get with the next two as well. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I'm going to say just kind of like a you know pretty high level Jaws three for me. Who wants to go next? <laughs> well, I'll I'll do it. I'll I'll follow it up and say that uh, I think this is probably no surprise. Liking it a little bit more than you, then it's it's a Jaws two for me. Um, I I think there's still yeah there's enough for us to go oh well, it, wouldn't it have been nice if this had a little more of this or a little less of that but um there's enough character interactions that I you know for me to chew on and enjoy and the the action and the you know the score and the the sizzle of it all and it's just it's a fun I still find it to be a fun <laughs> yeah 66 Batman nightmare um so <laughs> so for me yeah it's it's a Jaws too. Fair enough. Who's next? Well, I think one of the easiest, although this one's been an interesting one for me because I, I was trying to separate myself from nostalgia, you know, putting me back from when I saw first saw it and where I was at in that place and really rated for now. Like, how do I feel about this now? What surprised me about this one is kind of something I said earlier. I like this one better than the first now. Today, I'm there's themes in this one. I think the musical score was better in this one now. The character development I liked more in this one. I agree with some of the issues as far as like the penguin, a little bit too much penguin now. And I think it was because I wanted to see more of the other characters. But I also think that's a strength of the film is I liked them so much. I wanted to know more. Um, strangely, I wasn't expecting this after my first viewing of it, but I think I'm a high jaws to now. Whereas in my first viewing, I was in the Jaws 3 place. I was totally where you were at, Paul. And as I watched it again, the because um, something was drawing me to want to see it again, I found myself saying, boy, I, I think I want to watch it a third time. I like really had fun with this in a way that I didn't expect. I didn't expect to be coming to you and saying that like out of the two Burton Batmans, and I've seen a lot of Batman movies since, this one had a lot to it that I really enjoyed. Fair enough. I, you know, if if nothing else, I welcome disagreement. I, I'm I'm always uh, on board for intelligent discourse. So there's not a right or wrong to it either. It's, yeah, exactly. It's what, it's what your experience was. What do you say, Zachy? You're the final vote on this one. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, with what Brian was saying earlier. Uh, for me, for me, it's it's a Jaws too. All right. So I am the outlier. <laughs> that's that's okay too it's been a long before well when we all uh, get together this isn't the movie we'll throw on <laughs> yes that, that is probably the case well if if, if uh, past reviews say anything I would imagine we're throwing on the fugitive but yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens uh, I, I, I don't know when we're all going to manage to be in one place at, at the same time since we're all in very different places right but anyway, uh, before we uh, sign off here, uh, Zachy and O'Brien, why don't you tell whoever's listening where they can find you when you're not guest starring with us? Brian? <laughs> well, uh, Zachy and I host uh, a podcast together called the Movie Film Podcast. Uh, we've been doing it for over 10 years now. So there is plenty for people to find where we're either talking about movie headlines or we're talking about 
whatever new movie came out that week. Or we also uh, often and occasionally do movie commentaries where we'll watch a film and talk over it and uh, talk about the things we know about it, the things we learned about it, and just sometimes even break it apart and just say uh, what we find interesting about it or wh- how we tweak it. And those sometimes are the most fun conversations. So you can find us uh, pretty much anywhere podcasts are available, the Movie Film Podcast. What I've said before and I will repeat is it is one of my favorite podcasts. Thank you. Uh, it has got the single best podcast theme song of any show I've heard. <laughs> And it, uh, when you guys do uh, commentaries, what I really enjoy about it is you don't feel the need to have to have the movie playing to understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as, I, as I listen to you, uh, whether I can picture the scene in my mind or not, your, your conversation isn't dependent upon that. And I think that's, that's a huge plus with podcast commentaries. I'm really happy to hear that. I mean, that's always the goal. We always say if if you're driving in your car or at the gym or something, we we still want it to be as entertaining. And, and I would say you succeed. Thank you. I throw uh, my podcast yeah. listening on the road, and I got to say I've become a fan of your podcast from this show. Oh, oh wow, thank you. Um, so that was yeah. that was my introduction to you guys, and um, I I couldn't agree. All of my podcast listening is at work or on the road and you guys, your show works great that way. Oh, wow. Uh, so so cool. thank you. Thank you for uh, providing the content for me. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you guys for coming on and making the time. I always appreciate it. And, you know, just to, to comment for, for the people listening, you know, uh, Zachy and Brian are both in California and I'm in Long Island and, you know, we are not in the same time zone and it's, you know, it's not always easy to find time to do this together. And I always appreciate that you guys make the time and you do so and, you know, uh, you make, make a real effort to try and make it as easy as possible, which is very much appreciated. Oh, oh thanks. Love it. coming here. Well, yeah, it's always fun and thoughtful conversation. We will have you back as soon as, as, soon as it's practical. Uh, but thank you everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time. Oswald. Oh, my name is not Oswald. It's Penguin. I am not a human being. I am an animal. Cold-blooded. Crank the AC. Where are my lists? Bring me the name. It's time. These are the names of the firstborn sons of Gotham City. Just like I was. And like me. A terrible fate waits for them. Tonight, while their parents party, they'll be dreaming away in their safe cribs, their soft beds, and we will snatch them, carry them into the sewer, and toss them into a deep, dark, watery grave. Um, Penguin? I mean, killing sleeping children, isn't that a little, uh... Yeah.